Good morning, and welcome to worship. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, before we go into our worship service, I'd like to announce two brief things. Uh, the first is that our youth are meeting tonight across the street in the Family Life Building after the evening worship service. And secondly, to put on your calendar June 25th in the evening for our evening worship service, we'll be having the installation service for Pastor Heath, and uh, there will be guests coming in from far and wide, so uh, it will be a special evening, and if you can come, we'd love to have you there for that service. As we begin our worship service, ask God to give you his spirit, to bring you peace, and to bring you um, the ability to focus on him and his word as we hear it preached, as we sing it. Um, ask God to help you receive it as the music plays. Let's do that now. Good morning and happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers out there. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the great company of the upright in the congregation, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let's now stand and join our voices in praise with hymn number 57. Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah, O oh my soul. 
Remain standing, please, for our invocation. Dear Heavenly Father, as we stand in awe of your goodness and mercy today, we invite you to be present amongst us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we declare that we love you and we thank you that you have made the way of love, of love known through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would reveal this great love to us all today as we gather to worship. Lead us by your Spirit to praise you. May our hearts overflow with thanksgiving and our mouths proclaim your everlasting greatness. And now, dear Father, we pray together that prayer our Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Apostles' Creed has been used both as a statement of faith by, and worship by many denominations over the centuries, literally since the time of the very early church. It reflects with much integrity apostolic teaching from those early times. I ask you Christians here today, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered unto Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have a moment where we can have a time of silence to go before our God in prayer. And uh, since it's Mother's Day in many houses, we are hoping and asking many different children to be peaceful and quiet so that, you know, mothers can have a good day today. And we know how that usually doesn't pan out. Um, but right now we have a moment. And we can ask God um, to be present to us in prayer. So let's go before our Heavenly Father uh, for a time to be with Him in prayer, and then I'll lead us in a corporate prayer. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray your words in Scripture where we read that you're, you're our only refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And we confess with your saints that we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble, at its swelling, your command to us is simply this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lord, this Mother's Day, some of us remember with great fondness and admiration the women who were and who are our refuge, a very present help in our trouble. On the best days, our mothers pointed us to the love and care and help that is in you, God. 
And this morning we ask you that you would bless our mothers, that you would bless the motherless children here, those who dearly need and miss their mothers. Lord, we pray for mothers who are estranged from their children. We pray that you would supernaturally mend these relationships and bring them back together, that you would be their strength. Lord, we pray that you would be a fortress and a sanctuary for women who are infertile or who are otherwise incapable of having the children they so much desire and those who wish to become mothers but must wait on your timing. Lord Jesus, even more so we acknowledge all of the babies of this church who were conceived on this earth but were born in heaven. For mothers of children that have passed before their parents according to your mysterious will, for all who have experienced these losses, Jesus, worthy is your name. You suffered and died to wipe away our tears and lead us through this life in the highest highs and the lowest lows. So we pray you would be with this church, with the women in it, with our mothers, with those who would like to be a mother. Lord, with all of those here who grieve the loss of their mother, God, you are with us in these things. We pray also for different people in our church. Lord, we pray for Mary Mac. We pray that you would bring long-term healing to her, and that you would re- relieve the worry and the anxiety of her parents, and that you would be with them. Lord, we pray you would bless the travel of your children in this church, and you, that you would keep them safe. Many of us, many of the members of this church are traveling around this country, around the world, So we pray you would lead them in those travels. We pray you would bless the preparation of the Cross family as they uh, prepare to come to Louisville in the coming weeks. Would you give them great rest this month as they have some time off to prepare and also to rest from their labors and from their daily life that they've been having in Nashville? God, would you open your word to us, and would you lead us in worship by your Holy Spirit? We thank you for this time, and we are grateful for it, and we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, Over the next few moments, we'll take up our morning offering, where we give our tithes and offerings as God commands us to give. So if you're able, um, you can respond to his command to give, and he will bless that for the growth of his kingdom, for the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We'll do that now.
Please pray with me. God, you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. Lord, as we give these tithes and offerings, we acknowledge that you have given us all things and that you lead us through the valleys and the mountaintops and in between. God, would you be honored by our gifts? Would you be glorified in the work that these tithes and offerings will support? And would you make these things fruitful in your name? And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping with hymn 481, which is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Let's continue singing together. You may be seated. I invite you to take a Bible and turn to Mark chapter 7, verse 31 is where we'll begin. Mark 7, starting at verse 31. As you turn there, I'll give a quick introduction. We've been going through Mark for almost, I'll say almost a year. Um, we, I, uh, didn't know how long this season would be, so I picked a book of the Bible that would last us as long as we needed. And so we're about a year through Mark, and we're at the halfway point. Um, and so we'll see how far we can get. But we're at Mark 731. Let me read this, and then I'll pray again. For our message. This is God's word. 
Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus, Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmantha. Dalmanutha. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we open up your word again this morning, would you bless the reading and preaching of your word so that our hearts would be strengthened and encouraged, that we would be challenged, and God, that you would be glorified above all. Lord, preach the gospel clearly to us with power this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This section of Mark ends this portion of Jesus' journey through Gentile lands. So Jesus is on this journey that kind of looks like a horseshoe that's 120 miles of travel, whether by foot or some other means. Jesus is going into these notorious Gentile lands, and just by his travels alone, shows us something about his mission and his compassion and his love. He is going to the Gentiles, the most hated regions of that area, and showing them and preaching the gospel, and including the Gentiles into God's plan. It also explains why we're seeing a story so similar to the feeding of the 5,000, which was just a few verses before this. So as we look at this passage, I want to go through two points. And the first is this, that he has done all things well. That's the first point. He has done all things well. The second point is this, he's making all things well. He has done all things well, and he's making all things well. Let's look at he has done all things well. Uh, Some of you, probably the younger people, maybe not, um, know about a YouTube video creator called Mr. Beast, and I may have mentioned this person before. He is the most popular person on YouTube, and he has 152 million people subscribing to him. That's like a pretty large percent of the world uh, watching these videos that he puts out. You might not care about this person at all. You might not care about YouTube at all, but it's important to know what a large portion of our world is tuning into to watch, to listen to. A few months ago, this person made a video about helping a thousand blind people see again. So they had this unique condition with cataracts, and 
the whole point of this video was to help a thousand people see again by the help of doctors and a special operation that he made possible through his money and his connections. And it's in a pretty amazing video. And he made this video, of course, because I think he wanted to help people. And also, because when you help people, it generates views and people tune in to see someone helping someone else. So it both is part of his desire to help people and also helps his brand or his marketing, whatever you want to say. But either way, it's an incredible story. It's an incredible video to watch people see sometimes for the first time. It's amazing. I was looking up this video because this passage reminded me of it. And interestingly enough, uh, he had just posted another video just a few days ago this week. And in this video, uh, he is helping 1,000 deaf people or people who are hard of hearing, to hear again. And again, it's an incredible video. And it's not like incredible, but it's very fascinating and moving. But the first clip of this video, when you start this video, is of a daughter who has never heard her mother's voice. And given it's Mother's Day, very touching, very moving. And when they switch the hearing aid on, the first words that this daughter hears is her mother saying, I love you. It's a wonderful picture. It's a wonderful story. And it's not a stretch, I think, when we read this story of Jesus healing the mute and deaf man, that the first words that he heard from Jesus were, I love you. And rather than tell everyone to spread the news like you might on YouTube, he tells them to be silent, which is picking up on that theme that we have seen in Mark already. And as I was reading verse 37, you might have had the same reaction. Maybe you've read this story before, but verse 37 says, they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. It is astonishing to me that the people in this story in Jesus's day who had suffering beyond what we can really comprehend, they didn't have the, the medical help, they didn't have the safety nets, they didn't have the network of people around the country who could support them in times of need, it was amazing to me that these people could say, this man, Jesus, has done all things well, even in the midst, even in the middle of their lives, which for certain they have seen great loss and have grieved much. And so how could... These people come to this acknowledgement that God has done all things well, even in their own lives that are difficult and with great loss. We see that Jesus came to make all things well. We see that Jesus has done all things well, and that Jesus is going to make all things well. We know this because Mark uses an interesting, he does an interesting thing here in our passage. He points us to another passage of scripture in Isaiah 35. And a commentator who I love to read named James Edwards said, he pointed this out to me, and he says that the, the description of the man with the speech impediment uses a Greek word that occurs only once elsewhere in the entire Bible. And it's the revelation of the glory of the Lord to the nations in Isaiah 35. Now you might think, that's interesting. Maybe that's true, maybe that's not. It's true. Um, but also, there's another hint that Mark is pointing us to this chapter. But let me read just two verses from Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. 
and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This whole chapter in Isaiah is an incredible picture of the day of the Lord. And in the Bible and in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is a day, but as people in seminary taught me, the day is like looking at a mountain range. That the people in the Old Testament, when they heard about the day of the Lord, they saw a mountain range. But when Jesus came to earth, now we see that the mountain range is actually a longer, a more full space than just a flat 2D picture. It's, it's more than just a 24-hour day. It is, in fact, the day that we are in now. From the time Christ came until now and until he returns is the day of the Lord. And so what the people were looking forward to is what we are now in, and it's also what we're looking forward to. And so in Isaiah 35, verses 1 to 2, I thought this was amazing. It says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. And then it says, The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. The desert wastelands of Lebanon are literally the lands that Jesus has been traveling through in this portion of Mark. Tyre and Sidon are the lands of Lebanon. And so, of course, there are so many layers to what Mark does in this gospel. There is the top level, which is Jesus being compassionate and healing those in need. And then there's the deeper layers that point us to what God is doing in the past and the present and the future. The healing that we see in the Decapolis is the first fruits of the complete healing and restoration that Isaiah 35 promises and gives us a picture of. In verse 37, you might think of the, the verse in Genesis 1.31. You might not know it's one, chapter 1, verse 31, but when we read that verse that he has done all things well, it points us to the beginning of creation. When God has made all creation and man and woman, and he looks at everything that he's made and he says, yes, this is all very good. Just as God has made and created all things and it was very good, Jesus' work and salvation is also done well. It's all very good. He has done all things well. So as we look at this passage, we look at some details of it, and they're a little confusing, a little strange. Why does Jesus do these physical signs with this man? Why does he use his spit touches ears and all those things? And the answer is, I don't know. But we might infer that Jesus is, one, he's showing his compassion through this physical contact. He pulls this man aside and goes into private, and he does these things. We might also think that maybe the way Jesus is doing these signs is something that this man would have connected with common practices in his day that even though he was deaf and couldn't speak, when Jesus did these signs, he would know, okay, I know what this man is doing. He's helping me. He's communicating with me. And then we see after he heals him that he and the people around there should be silent. It's the same command to silence that Jesus has given Jewish people, that he doesn't want his miracles to be his identity. Jesus, across the whole gospel of Mark, is shaping his identity. When he tells people not to go and talk about what he has done, that's what he's doing. He's saying, you need to know who I am in a fuller sense, in a more full way. 
And after healing this man, the passage moves to a very familiar-sounding story, the feeding of the 4,000. There are a few differences in this story than the feeding of the 5,000 that I thought were worth mentioning. Of course, this group is a Gentile group. Jesus is feeding and satisfying the Gentile people just as he feeds and satisfies the Jewish people. And interestingly... Uh, The feeding of the 4,000 is in first person rather than third person. Third person is describing something about someone doing something. First person is that person actually speaking and doing it. We see it from their eyes, from their words. And Jesus says, I have compassion on the crowd. I have compassion on the crowd. It's wonderful to hear Jesus speak those words, to hear it. It also brings up the question, if if you read through Mark, you'll see how close these two stories are, the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. And you look at these disciples, and they're like, how is anyone going to feed these people? Jesus says they need to eat, or they're going to pass out when they go back home. How are we going to feed these people, the disciples ask. And we're thinking, well, he literally just fed 5,000 people miraculously. Why would you be asking this question? Jesus can do this. Again, it's a a somewhat difficult question to answer completely. But as I was reading and, and studying this question, I think what makes the most sense is that the disciples didn't walk around with Jesus and follow Jesus like he was a miracle vending machine, that he could just fix everything and do everything, and that's what, how Jesus was going to be. They followed Jesus in a way in which when he performed a miracle, it surprised them. It was wonderful. It was a joyous occasion. And we'll see in the passage after this, The people who expect signs and miracles from Jesus on a regular basis, the ones who need to see more things done by Jesus to believe, are actually the enemies of Jesus. It's God's enemies who want more and more signs, who expect the Son of God to show his power, demonstrate it over and over again. The disciples are not like that. They trust him. And when there is a miraculous feeding of 4,000 people, they are astonished and they praise and worship Jesus. They worship God. If you would read with me at verse um, verse 6, Jesus follows a very similar model when he feeds the 5,000, as he does here, and he's setting up the sacrament of the Lord's table. He's, he's pointing us towards that night when he would break the bread and distribute the wine. It says, He took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. Surely Jesus has done all things well, but his point of coming to this earth and performing these acts of compassion is to point us towards his ultimate purpose to point us towards that day when we would be satisfied not in what Jesus does for us or gives us, but in Jesus himself. Henry Nouwen wrote a book about this. Henry Nouwen is a priest. He has done a lot of writing, theological writing and writing on the Bible. And he said that in doing this and setting out this this act of breaking bread and distributing it and giving it, he says that just as Jesus was chosen by God, blessed by him, broken, he was given for you and me. So in this act, we see what Jesus will eventually do himself. 
Jesus was chosen by God, blessed by him, broken on the cross and given for you and me. But not only that, Jesus brings us into that ourselves. He brings us into this process, this life, being blessed by God, being invited into suffering, into Jesus' sacrificial love to bless others, to be given for others. And so, in these two stories, Jesus is ministering to the Gentiles. He is preaching the good news of God's kingdom that includes everyone, no matter who you are or where you're from. And the people in our stories see this and they exclaim that Jesus has done all things well. But he is also making all things well, which is our second and last point. He's making all things well. In Isaiah 35, we read this portion. We read this. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. I encourage you later today to, re- to go and read Isaiah 35, the whole chapter. It is so good, so encouraging. The thought came to me as I read it that it, it's not crazy to think that the Jews thought when the Messiah came, he would come with this military might, that he would bring judgment and recompense. Many people today are arguing that Christians need to be more like this, more forceful in their arguments, more blunt, that we need to be stronger. But the actual Messiah comes with meekness, with gentleness, with compassion. And we might ask, where is this recompense? Where is this vengeance that we were promised in the Messiah. And it comes, but not where we expect. Jesus didn't come to earth smiting people and, and judging people. He, in fact, comes to earth to bear that vengeance and that recompense of God on himself in our place. He bears the vengeance and recompense of God against sinners on himself. He came to be broken and given. He came to be food for the hungry. To be received with great joy. He came to open the ears of people who are deaf, who are dead in their sin, He came to unstop their tongues so that they could worship and sing. This word for um, unstopping a tongue or causing the mute to speak again, it's a concept of freeing from slavery. It's liberation and freedom. Jesus came to liberate those who are slaves to sin to sing his praises. Jesus has done all things well. He's making all things well here and now, and he will make all things well once and for all, one day soon. In Paul's letters, he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 about his time in Asia as a missionary and the suffering that he went through. And I thought of this verse because it, it teaches the same thing concept is what I've been saying, but in a different way, and I'll read it for us. It's 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. Paul says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. 
So if you've listened carefully, he says, He has delivered us, He'll continue to deliver us, and He will deliver us. It's past, present, and future. And so Jesus has come to save us, He will continue to save us, and He will save us. He has done all things well, He continues to do all things well, and He will make all things well. He will restore and redeem this broken world, this world that is full of sin and sadness. He is the final judge. And those who trust in him by faith, who trust in the righteousness of Christ and not their own, will be innocent. And those who don't will be guilty and liable to the judgment of hell. Isaiah points that, uh, paints this picture of the final day of God's people, of the world. That ultimate day when Christ returns and judges the nations. I'll read it for us. He says, Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Doesn't that remind you of Revelation? It, were, it should, because it's directly connected. On that day, we see in our passage in Mark, Jesus is bringing in the people of the world to return to Zion with singing, where sorrow and sighing shall be no more. My favorite part of that passage is that it says, even if they're fools, they shall not go astray. And I mean, if you feel like a fool, like I do, that's a great encouragement. Even fools will not go astray. So Jesus' acts of love that we see in Mark point us to this day. The ransomed will return. There will be gladness and everlasting joy. This is how God will make all things well. I've got an interesting example of this. You might not think it's interesting at all. Um, have you all ever heard of an, an, amuse, an amuse-bouche? Amuse, amuse-bouche. It's French. And um, it's a phrase, and I'll just read this. This is what, uh, this is what Wikipedia how it defines an amuse-bouche. It's so hard to say. It says, amuse-bouches are different from... So an amuse-bouche is what you get before you eat at a really expensive restaurant. It says, an amuse-bouche is different from an appetizer in that they are not ordered from a menu by patrons but are served free and according to the chef's selection alone. These are served both to prepare the guest for the meal and to offer a glimpse of the chef's style. Um, I have been gifted with meals, or maybe a meal like this, where when you sit down, they bring out a small dish, and they say, this is a gift from the chef. And they might say it's an amuse-bouche, or they might not, because it sounds very... Uh, as they say, hoity-toity, or something like that. Uh, Hoity-toity, hotty-totty. They bring this out, and it prepares you. It it gets you excited. You look forward to what is coming. And you don't ask for it. They just bring it out. And what we see in this story, and also all of the Gospel of Mark, is this taste of what's to come. The healing of the deaf and mute man, the, the feeding of the 4,000, these are in a moose bouche, so to speak. We see that Jesus is the free gift himself. 
He is, he's preparing his people for the great meal that is to come. He shows us pictures of his great love, that he is going to make all things well, and that he is making all things well, and that he has made and done all things well. Again, we don't, we didn't ask for the gift. When you sit down at a nice restaurant, you don't ask for that. If it comes, you're grateful. Jesus was not asked for, but our God is compassionate and loving, and he gives us more than we would ever ask for and more than we would ever desire. And Jesus is preparing us for the great meal when all his people will be gathered around the wedding feast of the Lamb. But he is also making all things well now. It's not just what God has done in the past in Jesus or what he's going to do in the future, but it's what he's doing here today through his spirit. We see examples of this, and then I'll be done. We see examples of how the Holy Spirit is breaking people free, perhaps yourself, breaking people free from slavery to sin. Or he's bringing people back peace that passes all understanding in the middle of great pain and loss. Or he's restoring relationships. Or he's building roads in the desert when we thought there could be no road there. He's bringing water to places that water shouldn't be able to exist. God is doing amazing, miraculous things through his spirit here and now. It's the inbreaking of God's kingdom. It's what Jesus is doing now that points us to what he will do in the future. And so we see in this story of the deaf and mute man and the feeding of the 4,000 that Jesus has done all things well. He is making all things well here and now, and he will make all things well one day soon. So would you come to him and be satisfied and trust him by faith? Let's pray. Lord, we would have loved to be in your presence when you were doing these miraculous things. God, we thank you for the faith that you have given us, that you have lavished upon us, that we would worship you not by sight, but by faith. God, you say all those who come to trust you based upon your word will be blessed. So, Lord, would you give us this faith? Would you give us faith to trust you, that you came to die in our place, that you took the vengeance that we deserve for our sin upon yourself? Would you help us, cause us to be satisfied in you? And would you point us to the great hope that we have of being with you, in a restored and redeemed world, in a glorious new bodies. Lord, you are doing amazing things here and now. Would you cause this uh, to encourage our hearts and to lead us into faith and repentance in you. We thank you for your word and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand for our final hymn in response to God's grace, which is hymn 605, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Let's stand and sing 605.
Receive God's blessing as you go and respond in faith with your amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.